trails of troubles, rows of battles, hands of victory, we shall walk. Welcome to WEHC 90.7, and you're tuning in to She Walks with Sharon Bowers and Carly Blaylock, and we're glad you're here with us again. We're excited about today's show. We're going to talk about representation. And, you know, with all the things that are going on in the media, and we sometimes we just fluff over things and we just kind of act like it's not really a big deal, but it really is a big deal. So we're going to talk about representation from a social perspective and what that looks like in our communities and uh, what it doesn't look like in our communities and why so many people are up in arms. Carly, specifically, welcome. And um, I don't know how you're feeling, but I'm feeling some type of way over some of the things that I've been kind of hearing I guess for me, the reason why it's so challenging is that this is a very serious matter, but we're turning it into a bunch of make-believe stuff. Yeah, I agree. And I think when it comes to the conversation around representation, there's sort of two conversations happening at the same time. One is that, well, is it historically accurate, quote unquote? And there can be all kinds of arguments around that. But then we also see representation in these fantasy shows like House of the Dragon or Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, right? Fantasy shows with fantasy creatures and fantasy worlds. And yet we're still having the same argument about what is realistic when this is a fantasy world. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the biggest things that happens with representation, you know, is typical stereotypes and norms. And in this situation, race and ethnicity is just like, I mean, it, it's crazy. Like, like what about the little mermaid? I mean, that's the one I guess that kind of, kind of stuck out at me is that, you know, like you were saying, these fictional characters, these, you know, make believe all this kind of stuff. And you still have dominant groups fighting and saying, Hey, everyone knows that the little mermaid is white. How would everyone know that? Right. And again, we're talking about a mermaid they're not real. <laughs> and yet, you know, people are making the argument of, you know, well, it was originally, I believe, some sort of Nordic tale and, you know, Nordic people are white, which again, that's debatable, right? Mm -hmm. But there's that argument. And again, it's like, what is, what are you trying to say with that argument? Well, I, I had a definition of representation from sociology and I just kind of wanted to share it because I thought it might help us and help our audience. And this is sociology and it says that social representations are a system of values, ideas, metaphors, beliefs, and practices that serve to establish social order, orient participants, and enable communication among the members of groups and communities. And so what stuck out at me was that whole social order piece. Absolutely. You know, that is so scary that in, specifically those people who are considered dominant versus those people who are considered subordinate. And that's still another opportunity for, for privilege to say who can and who cannot be. So the people who are, who are upset and the people who are saying it are people who have exercised quote unquote white privilege or white dominance all their lives. And so now they're having a big deal about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, growing up with Disney princesses, us white girls got to see ourselves represented in many different ways by Disney princesses, right? And to see that these videos coming out of these young black girls seeing Ariel for the first time and just being thrilled and so excited and just, you know, blown away by how amazing she is, right? Um, and that she looks like them. That is powerful and important. 
important, very important. And these things, you know, there have been tests, you, I forget the name of the test, the doll test, you know, where people invariably would pick the white doll over any other doll. And even Black people would pick the white doll over any other doll. And so, you know, I think this gets in our psyche and it's just really kind of hard to shake because, you know, when you think about all the backlash that has come from the Little Mermaid, I mean, what do we do with that? I mean, what do we really do with these fantasy characters and dominant people who say that the characters should look like them or they're invalid? I mean, I think we keep doing it, right? We keep casting diversely. I mean, I think that's, you know, don't let their voices stop us from doing that. Not that we have any control over casting of anything, but, <laughs> but you know, that that continues to be something that we do, right? Yeah. And, and I think it's kind of like, you know, I can remember as a young kid, you know, I grew up in an all white environment. My school was all white. There were four blacks uh, when I went to first grade and they were all, there were my sister and another family. And throughout my whole schooling, I was generally the only Black. But one thing I can remember that is kind of to the core is I can remember my sister and I playing after we came back from the white schools. We didn't do that. I, did, I first went to white school, quote unquote. My sister had not. She had the privilege of going to segregated schools. And that's another whole debate. We could talk about that one day, Carly. But anyway, from, from some Black people's perspective, it was a privilege to go to a segregated school because you had people who look like you, act like you, talk like you, mm -hmm. walk like you. You didn't have any of that low level kind of microaggressions that were out. But I can remember my sister and I, and I'm kind of, you know, just to show you how this stuff gets in your psyche. I can remember us on Saturdays taking the newspaper cutting the newspaper up into long strands and taking scissors and making curls and putting that on for our hair because everyone we saw had hair like that, not hair like ours. And, and so, you know, it gets into your psyche and just think what, what that does to young girls and young boys and the message that it sends that you are not okay the way you are. Right. And I think when we talk about representation, you know, yes, seeing diverse casts in shows is super important, but also like, who are your teachers? Who are your politicians? Who do you see in leadership positions? You know, because that is the equally as important and yeah. maybe even more depending on, you know, the decisions that are being made behind closed doors. Right. And we hear from students all the time that they want teachers who look like them, right. That they want to be able to connect with their professors in that way. And, um, you know, if you have an overwhelmingly white faculty, that's difficult for students of color, very difficult. Yeah. And I think it, sometimes it's just merely, I talk about this all the time, especially in my, my role as a clergy and a church leader, is that it is so common for Black people and Brown people and any other ethnicity that would be non-white, let's just say for non-white people, to be the only in situations and circumstances. And so you have to learn how to navigate culturally and socially and all that. But the flip is ne never happens because white people are able to navigate their entire life without ever being a minority because the systems are set up to create environments where they are comfortable and they are welcomed. And I don't know, Carly, I mean, have you ever been anywhere where you were the only? I have not. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet if we ask a lot of white people that same question, they would say that. So they don't think anything about their world, but we are always having to interpret how we don't fit in their world and to navigate, you know, it's, it's crazy.
Yeah. And even if I was to be in a situation where I was the only, I get to leave that situation and go back into the majority. Right. So like it would be a rare experience and it would be a pocket. Whereas, you know, people of color, students of color, they have to be the only all the time. All the time. And, and it's, it's challenging because, and, and it's also a little painful. I think that's some of that trauma that people of color, black people I'm talking about in particular experience living in worlds are trying to live in worlds, trying to be included in worlds that are dominant white. And, and so when we talk about this representation, and we talk about all the assumptions that go with it, the dominant group is perfectly happy to assume that white is the, I, I mean, I, I in my world, in, in clergy, one of the things that happens all the time, I was at a dismantling racism this past week, and we were talking about, you know, those who are Christians, quote unquote, Christ followers. What was your first memory of Jesus? And it was crazy because everyone around the table, everyone around the table remembered a blonde haired, blue eyed Jesus. And that came from the media that came from everywhere. So there were black and white people around the table, but all of us had the same narrative. Our first interpretation visual of quote unquote, the Christ did not look like what the Christ should have looked like. So, you know, the appropriation of a dominant group taking somebody and saying, this is what our Christ looks like. And this, and we're going to make you believe this is what our Christ looks like as well. Yeah. I mean, and that's what makes this outrage over the little mermaid and rings of power and house of the dragon. So absolutely mind blowing, right. Is that, you know, the dominant white culture has changed races of people forever, right? And had white actors playing characters of color forever. But when it comes back to the, you know, the Jesus piece, right? Um, I was raised Catholic and at the church that I went to, Jesus had a brown hair and a brown beard, but was, uh, you know, very white, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. even still they were, you know, adopting these features like, okay, well, he does have dark hair, but he's still white, right? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) got to be white. And that representation of what the Christ, quote unquote, is supposed to look like gets in everybody's psyche. And it was, everybody was blown away. And this one white guy was telling us, he went to somewhere in DC with one of his black friends. And that was, he said he walked down the hall and he saw depictions of Jesus being black and brown. And he said he was unnerved. He said he, you know, he he knew he shouldn't be, but he was. He said, psychologically, you know, the Jesus that he had known, quote unquote, the blonde haired, blue eyed or the brown haired, golden eyes. I mean, there's always something. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the white Jesus, he said, even though he thought he was being racially competent and all of that culturally competent, he thought all those things about himself. And yet he could not sit still. And then he said over the baptistry, I think this was the Baptist church or something over the baptistry, there was another brown Jesus. And he said he was so distracted through the whole service that he he had to kind of check himself because he just could not get with that program. Right. And not only is Jesus brown, but there is not a white person in the Bible. So. <laughs> yeah. And and I, th- I think that's how, but this whole representation, you know, to try to keep the social order, that sociological definition is critical, I think, to what we're talking about. Because if we can keep the social order as it is, then we can still keep minorities and, you know, subordinates and dominant and all those kinds of things. Because if it's my world, if I own all the things and I get to make them all look like me, I mean, it's, I don't know if you've seen those, uh, those little Facebook kind of things where 
you've got these two kids, one's black, one's white, and they wear the same clothes and they think they're twins. You know, they actually think they're twins and they say, this is my twin and their parents have to take them for twin dates. And, you know, they're nothing alike, but in their world, they are. And you wonder sometimes, how is it that we could create a world like that so that we could see other people, you know, for who they are, not necessarily for the color of their skin, because with the color of their skin comes all kinds of other I don't know, social mores, it comes all kinds of other things that are attached to that. So when I see those little kids, I think, wow, what a world it would be if we could see that people were our twins or our best friends, not based on ethnicity, you know, at all, but just because we like them and they like us and we get along fine. Right, exactly. And I think some of the discourse around this can be tied to some of the conversations that we've had previously on this show about, you know, the Western beauty standard, right? Mm -hmm. And how the Western beauty standard is thin and white. And that is unfortunate, but that is what is pitched to us all the time. Mm -hmm. And so when we see characters that don't fit that mold, even if we approach it from a very understanding place of like, I know what's being pitched to me. I am aware that this is what's being sold to me. It still takes a minute to sort of adjust your perspective, right? Yeah. And I I think that, you know, these whole, these internet trolls and all these people who are so angry about all of this, it kind of blows me away. I mean, I know that we have, we're now getting some new research that says that, you know, I, I think this is all propaganda because I do not think that civilization began in Europe. I am convinced that civilization began in Mother Africa. However, there is some new research out there that they're finding some things that may have said that earlier, previous to, you know, the mitochondria DNA and Mother Eve, that maybe there was something else going on. I just don't believe that. And and that's okay for me not to believe it. And I'm not trying to get the audience to go along with me. What I'm saying, however, is to act as if a people of color all over the world never existed or always existed in a subordinate position to whiteness blows me away. Yes. I saw this post the other day and I wanted to get your thoughts on it, but this girl, she's a black girl. And she said that instead of referring to herself as a person of color or someone who was a minority, she started referring to herself as part of the global majority. Oh, I wanted wow. to get your, your perspective on that because that yeah. is exactly right. <laughs> that is, that is exactly right. And that's a good way of uh, putting it out there so that people, yeah, I don't really like words. We use them to describe our conversations, but I really don't like those words either that say minority majority to what, mm-hmm. right. you know, I mean, because yeah, we are brown and black people are part of the global majority. And, uh, you know, the sooner we get that, the better it's going to be. Yeah, I think that would be good. Maybe let's start using that when we're talking (laughs) on our our show to make sure we're not uh, misappropriating. But let's do that when we're talking on our show, because that really is what it is. And the whole, uh, you know, part of the anti-racism work that we do and that we're committed to is really steeped in representation. You know, because that's, I mean, some of the stereotypes, some of the, like you were saying earlier about white people, even depicting black people. I mean, blackface has been, you know, it's been a sickness for a long time that you would pretend and use every stereotype you can and paint yourself black and do all those kinds of things rather than include someone black who doesn't have those stereotypes in what you're doing. Right. Or think about, you know, how many times Cleopatra has been portrayed in the media and how often has she been portrayed 
by a person of color. Oh yeah, I mean, it, it, it would be unheard of, but yet they keep the braids. <laughs> they do. Yeah, with Liz Taylor, I think they kept the braids, right? I think she was one of the ones that, I, she's one of the ones that I remember doing. Uh, yeah. Cleopatra. It has been a long time since I've seen that movie, so I cannot tell you honestly whether or not what her hair looked like, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of like a, a what we would call now box braids, but she's got mm -hmm. a few little bangs and the rest is kind of like braids. But I mean, how would you take a white woman, put a white woman in braids and say that that's Cleopatra? Right, absolutely. And then there's this there's this controversy in the opera world right now because there's this very famous opera singer whose name escapes me at the moment, but she has played a Black character on stage her whole life and has done it in blackface and refuses to not do blackface because she's like, well, I can't play this character if, you know, this is a Black character, so I'm going to do blackface. And she just doesn't understand culturally that that is not correct <laughs> yeah 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 and does she do blackface or does she do color on her face does she actually she, do she does color she colors her skin darker mm -hmm. now it's not like traditional blackface when we think of blackface yeah but it is she darkens her skin yeah wow and she can't see anything wrong with that when called about uh, on it nope. well I mean and those are places and spaces that other than a few exceptions that they've left us out forever like opera you know there's yeah. no there's no representation of people of color black people brown people the what'd you say the global majority yes. <laughs> there's no representation in these places and spaces and so they think they don't think anything of doing what she does you know at all but you would right. ask I guess I would ask the question why does she feel she needs to do that her reasoning was, or the reason that she gave, let's say that, was that, well, she's playing an African character, so she needs to look the part. And wouldn't it be easy to get an African to play the African part? And, and, and I guess even, you know, from a social representation perspective, why do we care? And, and I know this sounds kind of like one of those, you know, $65,000 questions, but why is it important to depict our ethnicity all the time you know is that that dominant subordinate kind of I'm in control I'm controlling the narrative I mean why is that really necessary to you know to to decide what color somebody has to be what ethnicity somebody has to be to play a particular role who's who's I guess I guess what I'm asking Carly and I'm, I'm an audience I don't know but I'm like who controls the script right well you know, overwhelmingly white writers, right? There are mostly white writers in the writer's room. for And male. TV. And male. And male, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. The other part of it is, especially in American culture, we see white as the baseline, just like we see male as the baseline or straight as the baseline, right? And everything else is an additional thing. And obviously that is systemic racism at play. Yeah. And I, and I, I just wonder you know, what, what we can do with that. Because if we're talking about politically, we're talking about socially, we're talking about all of the ways that people are represented. Why is it necessary to, for one group, and I mean, I guess I know the answer so that they can stay in power or their perceived power and privilege, but why would it be necessary for one group to try to control all that? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yes, to, to keep power, of course, but to also tell white narratives, white stories, right? And when we see our heroes on screen, you know, they're white, 
I remember the controversy over, I think his name is Idris Alba playing mm -hmm. James Bond. I mean, we mm -hmm. can just go on and on and on about, you know, white mainstream saying this can't happen. I mean, I can't imagine anybody better than him to be a James Bond. I mean, he's good looking. He's He's got that pensive kind of way and he brings you, I mean, I, he's I perfect. Thought, yeah, that's what I thought too, Carly. I thought he's perfect to be James Bond. You know, he 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 just gets it. He emanates James Bond-ness, however that works. But we can't have a Black James Bond. Why? Right. I mean, and again, he would be perfect for that role. And yet there's all this argument, all this controversy over it. Why? I don't understand. I mean, really, the only criteria should be that they're British because that's a British character and they've owned that character forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because people, the, our people, our Americans have had to change their accents or we've had to get American British or British American actors to play that role. I think Pierce right. Bronson was one. Who, mm -hmm. who else? Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig, yeah. Uh, who else have we had? Who was the original James Bond? I can't remember. That's a really good question. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's older than you, Carly, and probably yeah. almost older than me to have that kind of knowledge. <laughs> but I do think that, you know, the social representation is one of those things that keeps the class order and it keeps people. I think that's the biggest thing in this whole thing about why Ariel has to be white or, you know, why the Lord of the Rings or Power of the Rings or whatever that is. They have, I mean, you know, how could you say that in Middle Earth, there would be no people who, there would only be white people in Middle Earth. I mean, how, how do you say that? And then you know, even to go so far as House of Dragons. I mean, now, now I'll, I'll grant it this. Those of you, if you're watching House of Dragons, it's taken me a little while to get used to all of the blonde-haired Black people. <laughs> you know, the, what are they called? I don't know what their ethnicity is supposed to be that they have that, the, that hair. Oh, I can't so they are, they're, they're Targaryen. the blood of old Valyria. Yeah, and um, they're Targaryens. They're Targaryens and Valerians, and the Valerian family is the Black family. Yeah, yeah, and they, but they all have that blonde hair. Mm -hmm. So I will admit, it's taken me a little while to get used to see, but now I'm okay. Now I see it, you know, because, and, and I mean, people have been, I, when I lived in Australia for a while, this was back in the 80s, and I lived in Australia, and one day I just woke up and it didn't have anything to do with anything. I just thought, I think I want to get my hair cut and I think I want to make it blonde. And so I woke up and I went to the stylist because they could not do anything with black hair. That's another thing. And we don't want to, we, we don't want to jump off, but, but even things like that make it difficult. I lived in Australia, which is predominantly white Anglo, and there was no one there. And this was in the eighties, but there was no one there who had any knowledge, skill, or ability about how to do someone of African descent, such as myself, hair. So I was having a hard time getting it braided. Nobody could. I was having a hard time. I wore a perm then. I was having a hard time getting a perm, all those kinds of things. So finally, I just woke up one day and thought, I I'm going to get my hair cut off really short. And I think I'll have blonde hair. And I did. And nobody said anything. Of course, that was years ago. So I think that what, what we're trying to get at in this representation piece is how do we, how does anti-racism fit in with representation? I think that's a good question, Carter. Can you answer that in the short time we have left? <laughs> Not really, but I will try. Um, I, I mean, I think it goes back to that whole like challenging that we see white as just sort of the default and really challenging that. And one way to challenge that is to cast diversely and to put characters of color in these key roles. I think that's 
one way to sort of shake it up, right? Which is great, I think. And, you know, when we talk about these fantasy shows in particular, you know, some of these are based on books that were written a very long time ago, particularly Lord of the Rings, right? And there are a lot of fantasy tropes in books that are very racist, um, such as the characters who are the most um, ethereal are always white, right? The characters, um, that that kind of pureness, that whiteness, right? Which is obviously extremely racist. Mm -hmm. And so I think by casting diversely and casting particularly black elves is challenging that, right? Because the elves are supposed to be the most ethereal and the most powerful beings in this world. So having diverse characters play those roles, particularly Black characters or Black actors play those roles, I think is extremely important because it's challenging that notion because that's a very old, very racist notion. And some of us don't even realize that that's what, where that came from, right? But by challenging that and by seeing characters of color in these roles, we start to dismantle that. And also there are tons of Black and Brown Lord of the Rings fans or black and brown Game of Thrones fans who have never been able to see themselves in these characters. And that's important that they're able to do that. Just and not, based and on. not yeah, and not see themselves as subordinate. Like it was okay to have black slaves. Sure. You know, yeah. I mean, it was okay, even in the whole Game of Thrones piece, you know, that that was okay. But when we started seeing main characters and reoccurring characters that were black or that were of color, I mean, the one thing I like about House of Dragons, I mean, you can look there on any day. And and you can see almost anybody now. They're they're stretching it because most of the people who are of Asian descent I see in the background, you know. So they don't have a a, a main character. And I think as they evolve, they need to. And mm-hmm. I think if people don't want to watch it, this fantasy stuff, if it bothers them so much, then so be it. Find it somewhere else. I mean, because yeah. how how could you continue your racist behavior in the world of fantasy? Now that's the sickness right there. That is that is just how sick, you know, racism is that it's not enough in real life that you deal this way, but you want to carry that uh, dominant support, that privilege, all that into the fantasy world. That's scary, Carly. It's very scary. And the argument is always, well, that's not how Tolkien wrote it. Okay. (laughs) I wonder why he didn't write it that way. Exactly, exactly. Or, or anyone else, what were they thinking? You know, George R. R. Martin, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's the same thing that that's, the, but, but what that does is it keeps the status quo. Absolutely. And so these are the systems that we talk about when we talk about systemic racism, when we talk about structural racism, these are all the systems that are set up that keep those things going. I, I know we got to go and we didn't get really Carly. I don't think we got where we wanted to go or where we, where we thought we would go because there's just, it's just so big. There's so much. There's because so if we much talked to about talk the about. Little Mermaid, if we talked about the Power of the Rings, if we talked about House of Dragons, if we talked about, I mean, even things like, I, I, every time I see Friends and I see people with shirts on Friends, I think, why didn't I have a Black friend? Or why didn't I have We're an We're in friend? New York City. And yeah, it was an yeah. overwhelmingly white show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and again, I think it gets into money and who the consumers are, but you cannot discount Black and Brown people as consumers. Mm-hmm. at all because sometimes we're I, I don't know if you say this right but over consumers sometimes we spend too much of what we don't have for things that we shouldn't so how do you discount you know black and brown power in in you know in the media or wherever absolutely yeah 
So we are getting close to the end of our time. All right. Um, and we didn't <laughs> quite get where we wanted to go, I think. But we will revisit this topic many times because The Little Mermaid has not come out yet. Only the initial trailer has. We haven't even got the full length trailer yet. So we'll definitely revisit this conversation. House of the Dragon is still currently airing. So is Rings of Power. So we can revisit those conversations as well. So yeah, I mean, we'll continue this conversation. And if anybody has particular shows, you know, examples of representation that they would like us to talk about, please send them into us that would be fantastic so next week we're going to talk a little bit about leadership and kind of following this disruptive idea in in leadership models right we've talked a lot about patriarchal leadership before and how to challenge that but I think we're going to talk about it a little bit more through a specifically disruptive lens so please join us next week for that we appreciate you all being with us and we will talk again soon Bye. Pass of the victory, we shall walk.